that uh, song just inspired me. I was going to announce that this was our last week in the book of Revelation. <laughs> but, uh, now what do I do? It is our last week in the book of Revelation. You say, well, what's next? Um, I could start a study on Psalms, verse by verse, and uh, that might take a little while. But uh, what we're actually going to do, we're, we're coming into our holiday season, and I'm restraining from starting Christmas right now, and I'm going to uh, deal with a Thanksgiving theme that I think might be very appropriate for us. Out of Philippians 4, it starts like this, be anxious for nothing. And I think that might be useful to us right now, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let's go there next week, providing I get through these notes this week. All right? Uh, we are in Revelation 22, and we've been working our way through this book, and here we come to the final Final things I want to share, this by no means has been an exhaustive study. You might feel exhausted, but uh, we, we did what we could. I say it that way. Trying to aim for 22 weeks, we came in 31. That's not too bad. Um, but um, there is so much more in this book. I know that. And uh, this isn't the last time you ever hear from this book, I'm sure. Uh, the Lord grant to us many more years. We'll be back and we'll dig in parts and pieces and get to know it very well. But I hope it's been useful to you uh, for what we were able to do to give you a good outline of not only what's yet to come, but also to understand the book a little better. And that was my goal as we uh, presented it, because I don't think it's meant to be a mystery. I don't think it's really confusing if we just follow through with a literal approach and take it for what it says. And I think it makes more sense. So, I'm going to read to you chapter 22. And there, there's uh, quite a few verses, 21 verses here. But I'm going to comment a little bit as I go on a few things that I would have wanted to insert into additional sermons as we go. Um, if the whole sermon today sounds like Pastor just pieced it together with all kinds of different little pieces, in a way, there are some elements of that that did come about only because there were so many things I wanted to say and I didn't get a chance to fit them in here and there so I'm going to try to put them in as we go um, but this is the urgency side of the message if you haven't sensed urgency yet this is what we will look at today the urgency of the revelation we're going to camp mostly in verse 6 and 7 and verse 10 verse 12 and 13, and verse 16 through 21. Half the chapter, okay? Heavenly Father, we're about to start into our study here this morning. Again, thank you for writing this down for us, that we might not only learn from it today, but always have a copy available for us, that we might look at it again and again and again. In these words, we find your love for us. You have told us the truth so that we might know so that we have a place to anchor our soul and to rejoice in the world around us because we know what you're going to do. 
And for that, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to dig through it one more time today. Pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. Verse 1 starts. Clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There is no longer, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his, his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I love those last two phrases we just saw at the end of verse 3, the beginning of verse 4. Mark those and think about that. They will serve him, and they will see his face. Very precious comment I read uh, in Charles Spurgeon's commentary on this. He said, to serve him, to see his face, what a happy blending Service and communion. The hands busy, but the eyes ravished with the wondrous sight of the face of God. To serve the Lord and to see his face at the same time, this is double joy. This is to be like Mary and Martha in one person. There can be no fellowship better than that which serves, and no service sweeter than that which sees the face of the master while serving him. I thought, those were precious words. I especially like the phrase, it's a Mary and Martha put together, both in service and in worship. And they will see his face, verse 4, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will have not have need of the light of the lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who is filthy still be filthy. The one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, and the sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride says, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's start with a few definitions this morning. We've seen several words pop up on the page as we went. And so that's why when we're all thinking through this, we're thinking of the same words when we see them. In verse 22, he uses the word, or verse 6, chapter 22, he uses the word soon. He said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Soon. Actually, in this sense, it's the preposition in a short or a brief time is the way we read from the Greek. We read these words, it must soon take place. And we could read it, must take place. We could take the soon out and show the necessity of these things. They have to become. The future has been declared by God. I want you to note something in your thinking. God knows the future. And he's already written it. It's his department. He has declared the future. It's in his word. We just read it all the way through. It's written out for us to see, and it's written out as if it was engraved in stone. It's not going to change. Nobody on earth can change what God recorded in this book. Nobody. It will happen, just like he says. And our world's going to mock that, folks. Because that's what Scripture says. Expect it in the end times. They're going to mock God's word. They're going to ask, like Peter records in Second Peter. They're going to ask, where is the promise of his coming? As if God's lying. You know, they don't mind telling us that people lie. It's interesting. Don't be, don't be surprised when they start to say that God must be lying too. The question is coming, whether he is coming at all. But this is declaring something here. As we see in verse number 6, God knows the future. And it's going to happen. It must happen. It must. It's necessary. And that's the word that's stated here. It is necessary. Because God says so. That's enough for me. I don't know about you. But if God says it, I think, well, that's the way it is. It's necessary. But it's also necessary because his justice needs to be satisfied. Do you know that too? When we look at an evil world and we wonder what's coming of this thing, I still go back to a quote from Thomas Jefferson. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Yeah. It is necessary because God wants us to be with him. And that's an amazing thing to me. But he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be with him. And we want to be with him too, don't we? 
He longs for that day when he will have all his children home. These things must happen. And he's recording it for us. They must take place. But he adds that little phrase, soon, in with it. And I love that addition, don't you? Soon, he says. And how do we use that word? Let's use our typical illustration. Little Junior comes up and wants to know, when is it time to eat? When are we going to go this place or that place? And you need to put him off for a few minutes because you're not ready. So what word do you like to insert? Pretty soon. Pretty soon. We use it as if it's a delay tactic, as if it's just keeping you at bay a little bit. But here's what the word really means. It means it's ready and it will be prompt. That's the nature of this word in front of you here. God says, as far as the future is concerned, it's ready. We talk about it like, well, it's down the road. It's somewhere else. He's already at work, folks. He's got it ready. It's ready. And it's prompt. God doesn't use soon like we use soon. He's talking about a brief space of time. The word is takos. In the Greek, it's T-A-C-H-O-S, if you spell that word out. Takas. And I want you to remember that word for a minute. Because you're talking about something that is in a brief space of time. It's a very short amount of time. And there's those who look at such things and they read what we're reading right now. And we say, but, but didn't they write this about 2,000 years ago? That doesn't sound very short, does it, that that would be the case? For some, if you wrote it ten minutes ago, they would say, that's not very soon. It's because we're impatient. We tend to be. Do you like being put on hold when you call somebody? All right. Do you like waiting in a long line? You, you are waiting for something to come in the mail and it doesn't come? We all know that word, impatience. We keep our eyes on a clock. That's the nature of the way we work. When it comes to the timing of these things here, remember something. God keeps his eye on the sinner that needs to repent. Remember what, in reference to time, God said that he's patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But don't forget, to him a day is like what? A thousand years, and a thousand years is like what? It's only been two days. You say, okay, well, God is patient. But here's the reality. The timer is set. Okay? The timer is set. It's still clicking. And every second it gets closer to the reality. But this is real. That's my point I want to make. These things must take place, and they will take place soon in God's timing. It's prompt, but it is ready. It is ready. God's not going to be surprised when the calendar flips and say, Oh, I wasn't thinking about that being so close. He knows. He knows, folks. We can rest in that, can't we? We can stop and say, thank you, Lord. Brief sounds good right now. It's brief. 
Now, that's your first word. It's soon, and it means in a short amount of time. Now, the second word is in verse 7, and it's the word quickly. Say, okay, what's the difference? This one is now the adverb that goes with the action. All right? The first one was putting in a parameter so you can understand when things will happen, but this is the nature of how it will happen. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Guess what this word is? It's the same word as you just saw, but it sounds a little different. It's taku. T-A-C-H-U. Taku. It's from the same family as soon. But when it's used as an adverb, it's describing the nature of the action. He is coming quickly. And what's interesting is it doesn't have a delay factor in it. It actually comes with a surprise. They use this word for surprise. They use this word for suddenly. And that's the nature of his coming, don't you know? When we expect the rapture, you think it's going to go in slow motion? Like it's just kind of slowly ascending? It says, no, in the twinkle of an eye, right? You ever tried measuring that? Some scientists, Christian scientists, have had fun with trying to figure out how fast is that. They've got it down to this. The flap of a single wing of a gnat. I bet it's faster still. I don't know how. I'm not going to look at a gnat long enough. I'll kill it first. But uh, these these, these, uh, measurement terms we use, trying to figure out how fast is fast. The Lord uses really the word that you, can't, you cannot go faster than this. The change will be that sudden. One minute you blink and then you're in heaven. Imagine that. It's an incredible concept. It's beyond us a little bit. But that's kind of this idea. It's by surprise. It's sudden. I am coming quickly. Notice he's coming. Right? Isn't that our theme for the whole year? You've seen it at the top of your bulletin every single week. And has that ever changed? No, because it's true. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Notice how he started verse number 7. Behold. You know what that word's there for. It's to get your attention. It's, by the way, a command. It's a command. We call it. Technically an aorist command, and you've heard me say this word before, but it means to do it now. It's an urgent word. Behold. Do it as if you've never done it before. Start right now. Behold. Look at it. And this is actually even better than that. Stare at it. Horao is a Greek word. Stare at it. Stare at it. Discern it clearly. It's urgent. Don't take a quick look. Don't just take a peek. All right? Don't, don't take a casual look. Uh, don't take a look of indifference. But right now, look at this. It's almost like we're children. And you've done this before. You grab them by the face and you move them. To what they, that's what he's doing with that word. Because our eyes go off on so many different things, don't they? We're looking at that, we're looking at this, we're looking at that. You know, we're nothing more than Peter walking on water. 
And it's not long before the waves start to get our attention. He says, you took your eyes off of me, didn't you? This is our word, behold. Take it seriously. It's a command, and I say this many times, but if it's a command and we're not doing it, what are we? We're disobedient. He says, behold. And don't take that just as some sort of a Christmas word or something like that. He says, look at this. I am coming quickly. The blessed man is the one who heeds this word. These things. You only heed what you hear, by the way. You only heed what you hear. And you are blessed when you hear it, yes, but you're blessed when you heed it. The book of Revelation was written for a purpose, and it wasn't just to satisfy our curiosity. It was to prompt our activity. Do something. Don't just hear it. Heed it. In the days of Ezra, Love Old Testament stories. The Israelites had made themselves so comfortable in Babylon. They had taken Babylonian ways to be their own ways. They had taken Babylonian names for their children. They had Babylonian money in their wallets. They had Babylonians in their language. They dressed like a Babylonian. They ate like a Babylonian. And Ezra struggled To get them to see they weren't Babylonian. They were Israeli. And if you read his book, Understanding That Struggle, he had a hard job bringing them back to the land. I wonder how much of the struggle it will be for us to be pried away from this earth. I'm speaking kind of as a pastor for a minute, okay? But when Christ comes, it says we will be changed. Right? Yeah? Can we make that a little easier process? We're so comfortable down here, I know. This is the only world we've ever known. The only place we've ever lived. But we dress like we live here. We speak like we live here. We eat like we live here as if we're only citizens of earth and not citizens of heaven. And guess where you're going to spend more time? I know you've heard it before, but there is a difference between hearing and heeding. And when you heed, you understand Jesus is coming soon. Behold that. Look at it. Do you sense the urgency in that? I think he's trying to get our attention. Because we can easily settle down to what we're doing. That's the second word, quickly. Third word is the word near. It's in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Engus. Isn't that a great word? Engus. E-N-G-G-O-O-S. Engus. Actually, you've seen it before in the book of Revelation. It was in chapter 1. Verse number 3. He started with it. He ends with the word. It says, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. That's almost the exact words you see in verse number 10. The time is near. 
These are the great bookends, if you will, of the book of Revelation. The time is near. The time is near. The time is near. Blessed is the one who reads this, who hears this, who heeds this. The time is near. I, I was working on this word a little bit, this engoose word, trying to say, how do I describe this? I like to put it in a term or a picture in your mind so you can grasp the idea of what does it mean that it's at hand, that it's near. Well, I started digging with the word, and I found angus comes from agchu, A-G-C-H-L, agchu. And I said, okay, that sounds interesting. Agchu means to squeeze or throttle something. And I said, ooh, that's an interesting picture. It sounds violent. But then I thought of a little kid holding a teddy bear. You know that picture? And they got that thing by the neck. And if it could breathe, it can't. You're not getting it out of their hand. It's got that tightness around it. And, and I think of this little picture. To squeeze or throttle something by the neck, you can't get it closer to you than that. You can't slip anything between the child and the bear, can you, if they've got such a hold. For something to be at hand, it means it's ready to grab and use. Here's a kind of interesting picture. Time is sitting right there next to the Lord to grab and use because it's his tool. He made it. Do you know that? The Lord made time. He created it in the first place. And it's his tool. He uses it because he's a master of it. He controls time. Everything is done exactly on time in his way of operating. Everything. Nothing is one second short or one second too soon. If you want a good study on time, go through it in Scripture. At the right time, at the right time, at the right time, at the right time. It pops up all, all over the place. His birth was at the right time. His death was at the right time. His coming to us is at the right time. And I love that. But time is throttled by him. Time is held closely to him. He holds on to this. The time is near. See the picture? It's right there. There's urgency in this picture. We, don't, we can't waste that. That time, that the message is unsealed according to the verse we're looking at. It needs to be said. It needs to be broadcasted. The world needs to know what you know. Why? Because in our three words, we're reading about things that are soon, in a brief span of time, things that will happen quickly, suddenly, surprisingly, without delay, and things that are near. They're close at hand. They're ready to be put into operation. And for all that, I call that urgency. And you say, well, okay. Do you know there's a command with every one of those phrases? And every one of them is an urgent command? What's it mean in a brief space aside? Time. It must of necessity take place. Verse 6 says, that's a command. It has to happen. Numbers, uh, the word quickly was in verse number 7. It must be heeded. That is a command. 
not just heard, but heeded. That is a command. We have to. And the third thing is, it must be declared. Verse number 10, it's not to be sealed up. In all of that, we have something to do. In reference to what Christ is doing, these things must take place. They must be heard and heeded, and they must be said. Guess which part is ours? Open the mouth, folks. Speak. Our world needs that. Our world needs that. Travel down to verse 16 as well, through verse number 21. These are the verses that really get a lot of attention. Verse 18 and 19 do. I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city, which are written in this book. How many of you want the plagues that are in this book? If anyone says, give me some, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh-uh. We'd say, well, of course we don't want that. How many of us would say, well, I want to be excluded forever future with God. I don't want to go. You wouldn't say that, would you? No, I don't think so. Obviously, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time just dealing with this and figuring it out for you theologically and all that. I just say, man, that's scary. Those are intense warnings, aren't they? This isn't a slap on the wrist kind of a thing. But what I come away from just reading those words in the way God had them recorded, that treating and teaching God's word with respect and preaching what he says and not what man wants it to say is very important. And I want to be careful with this. I don't want plagues. <laughs> all right, I don't want that at all. Uh, but I love God's Word, don't you? I just love His Word, and His Word changes lives. Not my words. His words change lives. And I don't want to get in the way of that. God's Word is so powerful. Vance Habner always made comments that were fascinating. One of them, he said once, is, you don't need to defend God's Word. It's like a lion. Just let it out of its cage. I said, Wow. Preach it. Teach it. Say it. You're not responsible for the response. You're not responsible for the change of a life. You're not responsible for writing it in the first place. All you're told is speak it. God does everything else. And then you say, but I don't know how to speak it. And you know what's even cool? He says, I'll give you the right words at the right time. Doesn't he? So, what's our excuse? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Work on the conviction side right now. But this is what God said. Just speak it. And I think that's what I'm pulling out of those two verses. As simple as this is, without going into a lot of depth, I'm just trying to say what God says. This is what God directs. I just want to do what he said to do with it. Read it like he said. Don't, I don't need to add to it. I don't need to take away from it. Just present it as it is. They're good warnings for us because we, we can easily lose our sight right here. The verses before it and after it is what he was trying to tell us. 
And yet we get bogged up in the middle of this and we say, I don't, I don't, I, I lose my attention. What did God already tell us? First of all, I would say simply focus on Jesus. Go back just two verses to 13. Who's he talking about? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Oh, I'd love to teach you Greek. Alpha and Omega, those are letters in the Greek alphabet. See, you only have 20, uh, 20 some more to go. Is that easy? That's the first one and the last one in the list. And it's not, Omega is not a Z, it's an O. If that's confusing, take my class. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He started it, he will finish it. Nobody else gets that job. Nobody else qualifies for that job. Isn't it great to know him? He's in charge. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. Verse 16, on the other side of some of these words, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you concerning these things. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I think that's cool. I am the root. That's where it starts. I am the descendant. I'm the fruit, too. I'm the root and the fruit. Nobody else could make a claim like that, can they? I love it when these words start describing Jesus. There's been so many of them in in this book. Chapter 1 was full of it. Chapter 2 had quite a bit. Chapter 3 had quite a bit. When we study together and when we leave this study today, the focus, I hope, is always on the fact that we need to know our Savior better. We need to know Him better. I'm going to leave things for you, obviously, in this book for you to go and dig up. But if anything can be pressed upon your heart, is that you're going to spend eternity with Him. Don't you want to know Him? These words describe Him over and over and over again. And when we focus on the urgency of the message, there is just a simple thing. He says, I'm coming. Your time is short right down here to to know this word like we need to know it so we know our Savior like we should know Him. After all, you're going to be like Him. Don't you want to know what that is? You're going to be with Him forever. Then He gets to the word come. You saw how that starts to dominate the last couple of verses of the book, right? Come, come. Come, come. There are two comes that you see in the last handful of verses. There's the come of the Spirit. It's a come that's directed to the sinner, really. The come that goes out to the one who hears. The come that goes out to the one who's thirsty. Verse number 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. The one who hears says, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. The sinner needs a Savior. The invitation is come. Now I've got one Greek student here. Paul had to go through this. But I'll tell you what this word is. It's an interesting, really, really interesting word. We call it erkomai. All right, he's going to go, Ugh. All right. To the Greek students, 
you study that word erkomai, it's just a simple little verb, but it is such a chore to figure out that word. It comes in so many bizarre forms on the page. You say, that can't be right. And you look at it and you struggle with it. And, and I frequently say to them, when they're translating and they're working through a verse and they come upon the strangest word they've ever seen in their life, to first assume it's erkomai and they're probably right. And that's the nature of such a word like that. The spelling is just horrendous. Every time it changes, it's like, what is wrong with this word? And we say, well, okay, that's a very confusing word. But when it translates, it's not confusing. It's come. And that's what it means. How confusing can that message get? Come. That's the invitation down to one word. Come. Here is Jesus. Come. He's coming soon. Come. Do you know something? That's a command. That's a command. I'm looking at that form and I said, that's a command. Why do we treat it like it's an option? Why do we treat it like it's a suggestion? Like this will help you with your, your heartburn or something like that. It's come. It's got that urgent side to it. And you know what we do with such words? We add something to it to make it more palatable. As if the world needs to hear it better. We, we put it in an ambiance with a little music and a softer light. We dress up the gospel. We buff off the edges so it's not so rough. We dip it in honey and say, come. The reality is, folks, that man is a sinner. There's no remedy for the doom that is coming our way except through Jesus. There's no remedy but through Jesus. There's no way to the Father but through Jesus. There is no truth but through Jesus. There's no life but through Jesus. That's the message. And the message is down to one word. Come. Because this sinner is doomed for the wrath of God. And without Jesus they will spend eternity away from the presence of God in the lake of fire forever. And there's one word calling them out. While they're alive right now. And it's the word come. Come. The Spirit says come. It's urgent. You need a Savior. Come. We know the Savior, don't we? So the bride says what? Come. We can testify from our own personal experience. Says, yes, this is the answer. Come. The bride says come as well. That's our message. Come. What if they're thirsty? Come. It's a crucial cry of the gospel message. Come to the Lord. Come to Jesus in light of all that the Bible has to say about man. In light of all that the Bible says about the future, God still calls man to come. That's a very gracious thing he's done. A very patient thing he's done. But he says come. That's the first come you read in the last few verses. The second one is another come that comes from the bride, the church. In verse number 20. There's an urgent need for us here as well. And I hope it's because we want to be with him. 
He who testifies of these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. And guess what the church yells out right away? Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Here's something so interesting. When you look at these last couple of words, we cry, come to the sinner. And we cry, come to the Savior. Isn't that an odd mix? And yet a precious one to us? told you earlier of quote from Spurgeon, and this is another one that I thought was so precious. The Redeemer's coming is the desire of the entire church. The ministry of prayer for the coming of the Lord ought to grow more and more fervent as the years roll on. The fact that Jesus is coming ought never to make us any less diligent in pressing sinners to come to Christ. Let the two parts be evenly balanced. Let there be prayers to our Lord, come quickly, and an equal measure of entreaty to sinners, come to Christ. Let us blend the two in wise proportion and set both on fire. Let us teach of Christ's coming for judgment, and then invite people to come to Christ for mercy. Let us warn them that he is on the way, but tell them that he wants to be gracious. While they linger, they have time for repentance, thus They will both drive, we will both drive and draw, both convince and comfort. I said, ooh, that's a pretty picture. That's the urgency. You sense it? The urgency of the book of Revelation. It's written to the church. It's written to the church. It ought to propel us to Christ. It ought to spur within us the desire For our Lord to come and our want for Him to come. It ought to propel us to speak for Christ. To speak of the things that the urgent cry of the sinner needs to hear. Come! Remember once Philip said to Nathaniel, Come and see! Come and see! We found Him! Come and see. When's the last time that was the words of your mouth? To somebody who needed to hear the gospel. Come and see. Come and see. Once again, as we're wrapping up our thoughts here, don't turn your mind off. Don't shut your heart. There's opportunity right now. And I'm saying this because I know that so many of us here are longing to see our Savior, but there might be one among us who do not know him. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. And now is the time to call on him. Now. He says, come. Are you going to? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's the word of faith that we're just preaching. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There's no distinctions here. Not between Jew or Greek. For there is one Lord who is Lord of all. He abounds in riches to all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come is the message of this book. So as you're here today or looking at us through the internet, you need to hear that message. 
Maybe you've never believed that message before, but now I ask you to check your response to it. Have you come before? Have you received him before? Is he your Savior now? And if that's not true, do it now. That's the urgency of the moment. Call on him now, right now. And if you need somebody to pray with, anybody in this room would say, yes, I'll pray with you right now. If you're over the internet and you're all alone, if you want to call us later and say, would you pray with me? Or call somebody else in this room and say, will you pray with me? Pray with them, folks. Simple thing. Come. What do you do with the word like come? What's the only thing you can do with the invitation? Come. Come. Right? That's the book. You've heard it. Now heed it. Heavenly Father, what an incredible letter you have written to us. May we not treat this lightly. May we not somehow soften the urgency, water it down with uh, the decorations of our day and age. May we not just gloss over these things or Present them weaker than what they are. Your word is powerful, sharp, cuts down to the soul and the spirit, and it always accomplishes what you send out for it to do. And I believe, Lord, that you have been doing a work in our hearts, and I thank you, Lord, for it. And I pray even more so to give us a desire for our Savior that urgently and passionately says, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And may we have that same passion for the sinner. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If our hearts say anything different than that, Lord, convict of us of that. If we need to change, change us. For we want to have the message of this book written inside of us that we might be quick to proclaim it. It is urgent. And we thank you, Lord, for giving it to us. Do your work in our midst. And if, again, if there's anybody here that needs to know the Savior, Lord, you're the only one who can save, and we ask you to do that in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.